0: To sermon audio from Red Tree Church. For more information about our church or to find more sermon audio, visit redtreechurch.com. If you want to turn in your Bibles to John 3, I'm going to read and talk about the most famous passage in Scripture for a couple minutes as though I have something new to say on it. Let me pray for us as you guys turn there. If you don't have a Bible this morning, Um, I'd encourage you to grab one on the end of each row. We have house Bibles around here. We just uh, really care about access to God's Word at Red Tree. So if you um, don't have a Bible or don't own a Bible, I'd encourage you to snag one of those or talk to one of our elders, and we'll get you a nicer one. Um, But we're in John 3. Let me pray for us before we read our text. Holy Spirit, we pray this morning that you would illuminate the truth of your text to us. We need you. We need you to be our discipler and our teacher. We need you to draw us back to the truth, the simple truth of your gospel. Spirit, we we make it so complicated. And we add so many bits and pieces and structures and traditions, and most of them are beautiful. But Lord... This morning, make us like children before you. As we reflect on the amazing gift you have blessed this church with, with babies, kids. God remind us what it means to be kids before you, to receive the gift of your providence in your gospel. The same way these kids receive care from their parents. With eager and expectant hearts. We love you, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen. In John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, we get one of the most famous passage, probably the most famous passage in Scripture. Uh, And and the story here is that Jesus, this is during the life and ministry of Jesus, has gone to Jerusalem for a festival, and as a rabbi and as a teacher, he's becoming more and more well-known, and he's starting to gain enemies and allies in the Jewish political and social world. And so as he's in Jerusalem for this festival, uh, at night, he's gone outside the city, kind of to the, the area where all the pilgrims are staying and camping. And someone comes to visit him, to speak to him. And this is where we pick up our story. Starting in the first verse of the third chapter of the gospel, according to John, we read this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended from into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, and the people of darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And this is the word of the Lord. Now again, I think we've heard at least one verse out of this passage before, right? It's a little famous. John 3.16 is the most famous uh, verse in Scripture, right? It's, It's the basics of the Gospel. It's the most clear and basic articulation of the Gospel story in all of Scripture. It's why it's become kind of like the representative, the flag verse for Christianity, right? God so loved the world that He gave His Son, He gave Christ, so that whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. We've all heard that a million times. If you spent any time in Sunday school or RAs or Awana or whatever that program was, you memorized this verse, right? This is the gospel encapsulated for us. But look at the context of the conversation where it comes. Jesus is speaking to this theologian, this pastor, this spiritual leader. And he gives him this analogy that all of us have heard a million times. You must be born again. That phrase, born again, is so rooted in the Christian experience as to become a cliche in our world, right? Born again. It doesn't mean a lot to us. In fact, in some senses, it's used as a derogatory term to talk about people who are just kind of like a little too into Jesus, right? And yet, here it is. The most famous articulation of the gospel is nested in the midst of this image of being born again now guys i don't want to belabor us here in fact i have to be really quick or lane's going to turn my mic off i don't want to belabor the point here and i'm not going to dig super deep into this passage because we want to get to the good stuff and and see baptisms and, and celebrate and be excited but i want you to hear this being born again is an important image, and we must never grow past it. We must never grow past it. See, just like we shared at the beginning, that in Deuteronomy 28, we're told that new life, the continuing generation, the children, is the sign of the old covenant. In the same way, a new life is the sign of the new covenant. New life is what shows us and reminds us and grounds us in the truth that God's new covenant is real and that he's upholding his end of the promise. And I don't mean new knowledge, right? Nicodemus didn't need more theological training. He already had more theological training than Jesus did, right? He needed new birth. He needed new life. He needed to start afresh. Not learn more facts, not get more background knowledge, not be more like contextual of how his theology plays into his social policy. He needed to be born again, to experience God's love in such a fresh way that his life became a new life. And if we're here today... It's almost certainly because we know exactly what that means. Because we too remember what it means to be dead and blind in your transgressions. We too can remember how hollow and empty sound theology is apart from the life of Christ. Those of us, right, who maybe were raised in church and we understood a lot of doctrine and a lot of theology before it ever touched our hearts. We know what it means to be dead in our transgressions, to be lost and hopeless apart from Christ, but to receive new life and new birth. What a gift. What a gift our God has given us. We read this passage in Romans 6. I I want to reread it to you guys at the beginning. I want you to hear this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Come on! Now, for one who has died has been set free from sin. And if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Beloved, I want to end today with something really simple. Today we get to do something that in our faith tradition we don't get to do super often. We're going to experience two ordinances in the same day. Now, maybe you grew up Catholic and you're not used to hearing that word or you're not used to hearing that number and maybe you're thinking of seven sacraments. But we we talk about ordinances because of the things that Christ ordered us to do to remember Him and remember our faith. And we talk about two, because it's the only two we talked about. (laughs) We talk about baptism and communion. Both of these things are connected to an old death and a new life. See, when we take of the bread and the juice, when we partake and we reflect on the body broken for us and the blood poured out for us, we are proclaiming Christ's death until His return. We are proclaiming that through His death on the cross, we crucified with him. His death killed our sin. We're proclaiming that, that he's sufficient, that his sacrifice was enough to cover our sins, to heal us, to make us whole. And in just a few minutes, we're going to hear these testimonies where our brothers and sisters are going to come around us and declare, Yes, He is good. And yes, He is sufficient. And yes, my sins are washed away. We're going to celebrate that. And we do that tangibly by getting into water, getting wet. In the same way that we walk up and we need to touch bread and break it and we need to feel it dip and we need to taste it in our mouth. It's good to get down in that water. I don't know how many of you guys remember your baptism, but I've been meeting with the baptism candidates this week and I love the experience of believers' baptism. I love it. And the reason is this. You can remember it. (laughs) And you can remember that moment When you're sitting there and it's loud and everyone's staring at you and your adrenaline's kind of pumping and you're kind of nervous and then all of a sudden you dip underwater and the whole world goes silent. And for a split second you're alone. And it's just you and Jesus. And you're in this place where if you stayed there about a minute longer you'd be dead. (laughs) Right? And you're laid down with Christ in his death. it's just you and him. But then you feel that hand, right? And you come back up out of the water and instantly you go from being just you and Jesus to loud, raucous shouting and praising God and clapping hands and people hugging you. And you're reminded that it's not just you and Jesus, but that he's actually adopted you into his family. And that your new life is actually surrounded by brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles. And that you get to have eternity in this new life with this new family. What a gift. So church, today we're going to experience those two things. Come on. So right now I'm going to pray for us and here's how the rest of our time is going to go. I'm going to pray and I'm going to thank a really good God who gave us a really good gospel. And we're going to sing a song and when we start singing that song, I just want to tell you guys the tables are open so come and take and eat and reflect on the weight of the cross and the weight of sin and the weight of the price paid that it took the death of the only perfect person who ever perfectly loved you to give you life. We're going to proclaim that death until his return. And then once we've had a chance to do that, I'll come back up here and we'll sit under testimonies and then we'll awkwardly shuffle out of here and make our way to the pool. And we'll get to yell and shout and hoop and holler and celebrate the goodness of our God. Amen. Amen? Let me pray for us and then we'll come and take and eat. God, you're so good. You're so good. We love you. We really, really need you. God, today give us eyes to see you afresh. Remind us what it means to be in front of you as little children. Born anew. Moving from death to life because of you. Thank you, Jesus. We celebrate you today. We worship you today. You are so good to us. There is no sin and no brokenness and no darkness and no curse in this world that is so strong that it can get its claws and its roots in us so deep that you cannot pull it out. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for real gospel, real hope, for new life. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. We praise you today. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Red Tree Church. Visit redtreechurch.com for more information.